Right. Good morning. My name is Matt Lucan. Uh, today's scripture reading is uh, John chapter 9, and we'll be reading the whole chapter today. Uh, this can be found um, in the, the Pew Bible on page 895. Uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own or know someone who needs one, please uh, feel free to take one of the Pew Bibles as our gift to you. Again, that's John chapter 9 and the whole chapter. Uh, please stand as you are able for the reading of God's word. <coughs> as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, It was not this man that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors of those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus, made mud, and anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and that he had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. They asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he, he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why why do you want to hear it again? 
Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> and they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard of anyone opening opens the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You are born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and you worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. John chapter 9. Thank you, Matt. I heard Matt kind of laughing a little bit in the middle of it, just because it's a funny passage. <laughs> when you read it, you, you can't help but kind of at least smirk a little bit at the, the humor of the man here, the sardonic humor that we see. I'm going to release the children between two years old and third grade. Uh, and they're welcome to go that way. If you're new here and if you have kids, uh, there's somebody there in the foyer to tell you where, where to go. Uh, we are, um, my name is Sergei Marchenko. I'm one of the pastors and elders here. And uh, we are in, in the midst of this summer series. We're looking at the Gospel of John and, and taking each conversation that Jesus had with a particular individual. So these are, these are one-on-one conversations. And we're looking at each one of them. And we are the, looking at the last of the three conversations that have to do with physical healing. So there's a particular angle that we've been taking in the last three weeks. So in John 4, uh, two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus healing the official's son. And he heals him simply by speaking. Uh, he doesn't even go to the house. Uh, and it's the faith of the father of, this, of the sick child that's, that's emphasized in that passage. And then last week in John 5, we saw Jesus healing the man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. And this prolonged illness made this man uh, a rather unpleasant person. And so even after a miraculous healing, he doesn't seem to have much interest in who Jesus is or what, what Jesus is teaching. And finally, in our passage this morning, we're looking at Jesus healing the man who was born blind. He's blind from birth. His condition, unlike last week's passage, is not a result of anyone's sin. So there's no connection to that. Jesus clearly says this is not because he sinned or his parents sinned, but it's to display the works of God through that illness and healing. Now it's important that to see that as different as these three conversations are, and they are different, there's different angles in each one of them, But in each case, Jesus shows that physical illness is not the biggest problem and that he came to offer a much greater restoration 
that goes well beyond the physical healing. Jesus came to heal the whole person, in fact, the whole creation. And the key to understanding how to deal with physical illness, which is where it gets very practical for all of us, is to put what you're struggling with in the context of the larger restoration that Jesus has come to accomplish. So sometimes physical healing is a sign of that greater restoration. When God heals you, sometimes that's sort of an entryway or, or, or a sign that, that he's bringing a much greater thing into your life. Sometimes uh, physical healing is delayed because God is working on other aspects through the physical suffering that you experience. Uh, let's remember that both the man in John 5 from last week and the blind man in our text this morning suffered for many years before Jesus actually heals them. Now, we get the glimpse right here in the story, right? But there's many, many years that led to that, that they suffered without healing. And sometimes physical healing is denied altogether by God. And while we focus on certain people who were healed in our stories, that's what we're dealing with here, there were many more that Jesus did not heal, many more that were just around those people. And often in our weakness, his restorative power is most effective. We can think of Paul and his thorn in the flesh from 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul prayed that God would take a physical problem away, and God said no. And God kept it. He denied the request for healing, but through that physical condition, he worked his grace and actually revealed his great power in Paul's life. I think of specific people who have dealt with this particular issue of physical blindness. And though we will talk in much broader and general terms today, but I want to mention specifically, if, if you have struggled with that, or you're struggling with that right now, specifically with your eyesight, often God uses that. He delays the healing or He denies the healing, but He will give you a much greater spiritual sight. There are many stories in the history of the church. I think of Fanny Crosby, the great hymn writer, who was physically blind and yet had a spiritual sight that is almost uncontested among, among the saints. We still sing our hymns, many hymns by her, that communicate God's truth and the, the spiritual reality in such a powerful way. And so I want to encourage you, if this is your particular problem, that God is denying or delaying healing in. So if you are dealing with any physical affliction this morning, I want to say that it's appropriate to pray that God would heal you. We certainly see a number of cases in Scripture where people pray for that and God answers that. But as you pray, let's remember that the physical is just one aspect of the restoration in Christ that is gradually being accomplished and will not be fully accomplished until Christ returns and establishes His eternal kingdom. So if you're wrestling with a physical problem, I'm going to suggest a very good question for us to be asking, and it's coming from our text, and we'll look at it in greater detail as we go on. But the question is this. How can the works of God be displayed in my struggle? How can the works of God be displayed in my struggle? So if you are hurting this morning, and if you have prayed that God would heal you and take away this, this particular issue, and God is not doing that, the question to be asked,
for us, for all of us, and all of us are dealing with a certain degree of physical illness or, or discomfort, is how can God's work be displayed through this? So that we don't think that physical illness is somehow a, a random thing or is wasted. It's not. When God delays healing or he denies healing, that is because he has a much greater purpose working in this and he's going to use a physical affliction to bring about great blessings to you and to other people. So in other words, the question is, how is God working in my weakness? As I'm waiting for restoration, as I'm waiting for healing that may come in this life or may come in glory, but as I'm waiting, how is God working in my weakness? This is one of the things we learned from our passage this morning. We should be far more concerned with the purpose of our suffering than its cause. The disciples were concerned with the cause of the suffering. Is it this man's sin or is it the parent's sin? And Jesus says, be concerned with the purpose. God's works will be displayed through this. So after a lengthy introduction, let's finally look at our text, and I'm very excited. This is one of my, my daughter Zoya's favorite texts of Scripture. She always chuckles when we read this in family worship because there's a lot of humor in this passage. But it's dealing with these serious, serious realities that are applicable to all of us this morning. It's a highly symbolic passage. There's a lot going on here. I wanted to read the whole passage so we get context, but we're only going to focus on the conversation that Jesus had with the man born blind and then healed by him. So there are two parts to that conversation. In the beginning of the chapter, the conversation happens whilst he, the man is still blind. So it happens in the dark. He can hear Jesus, but he can't see him. He doesn't get healed until he goes and washes his face in the pool of Siloam. He's in the dark. The second, at the end of the chapter, happens after the man has been healed, and now he can see Jesus, and not only physically see him, but also see him spiritually. Now he's in the light, physically and spiritually. And finally, there are people who are listening to the conversation and are challenged to respond to Jesus, the light of the world. And there are two different responses that we'll look at. So that includes, that group is including us by extension. We're also listening in and are required to respond. So three points today. One, in the dark. Two, in the light. And three, the light of the world and the response that is required. Okay, so let's look at the first part of the conversation. And that's verses 1 through 7. I think it's helpful if you, if you keep your Bibles open and, and kind of follow along as we look at it. So John 9, 1 through 7, this is the first part. The man is in the dark, he is blind, and he is utterly helpless. He is born blind, which means he has never been able to see. He has never been able to know what things look like. He doesn't know what light is. I mean, he is completely in the dark all of his life. He is a beggar, which is a typical plight of somebody who had a, a physical condition that didn't allow him or her to work, so they would go and beg and rely on the compassion of God's people to supplement and provide for their needs. So he is a beggar who's blind and completely dependent on the compassion of others. He is utterly helpless. We have to see that before we move any, any further in the passage. He is utterly helpless. And as he is utterly helpless, this is a picture of our condition before God. Highly symbolic passage. Scripture teaches us very clearly that all of us are born sinful. We're born in a condition that renders us helpless. By nature, we are unable to see what reality 
is. We can't see reality as it is. So we, we make up our own realities. That's, that's what all of us are doing. Because we are disconnected from God, we are left without the source of light that enables us to see anything around us accurately and properly. So this goes well beyond our relationship with God, which of course is dark to us because we have broken it and we can't see Him spiritually. But it goes well beyond that. We can't see anything in life because God isn't there. The light isn't there. And so we are completely in the dark, completely helpless. This is the image that, that, I, that I have in my mind when I think about darkness and helplessness. When, when we get storms here, often people lose power. And some of you deal with that pretty pretty frequently. I think the summer we moved here two years ago, we had a tornado and, and our power went out and we were in the basement and I'm like thinking, man, where have we moved? How often does this thing happen? And it turns out it happens pretty much every summer. Uh, and so, so you imagine, and some of you don't have to imagine, you've experienced that you're in your house, the power is out, it's, it's dark, right? Now, of course, many of us think, well, I have flashlights, right? I have candles, uh, now you go to get your flashlight, batteries are dead. You go to get your candles, you're completely out. Everything is dark. You go outside, the lightning bugs are gone. There's the moon and the stars and, and, and the sun. Everything is gone. There's no light. There's absolutely no light. And the power company is not coming back to fix it. This is the, You're stuck in it. Imagine. Now, it's, it's hard because... When we are in that situation, there are so many means, right? You, you grab things, you fix it, and then you know that eventually it will be restored. But what if it was not the case? What if you were stuck in the house that is completely dark, and so you find yourself day after day stumbling around in a cluttered, dirty, cold, dark house? That's the picture of our spiritual condition before God. Now, all of us are there. This is not applicable to some people and and other people are in the light. No, no, we're all in the dark by nature, by our sinful nature. We're all in the dark, disconnected from God as the source of light, disconnected from reality. We cannot see things the way they really are because there's no light to help us see. And here's where it gets very practical for us. Is that how you see yourself? Can you identify with that? Can you say, that's me? That's me. From birth, I have lived in the dark. I don't know how things really are. I imagine things. I, I think I can guess at things. Maybe some other people tell me how things are. But I am stuck in this dark, cold, dirty house. Is that where you are? We, we have to see what the man feels here and what we must feel because of the condition that we are in. Now here comes Jesus. Jesus comes to this helpless man, comes to us, and he heals. Notice the display of his power. Remember that Jesus says this man is not blind because of his sin or his parents' sin, but so that the works of God may be displayed in him. And here is the work of God that is performed by Jesus, and only God can perform this work because this is a work of creation. We often think of God as the creator. And this is what Jesus does here. He creates. Now remember, this is a man who was was born blind. So for him to see again, a new thing has to be created. He has to make new eyes for him to see. 
It's not as if something malfunctioned and now Jesus fixes it. No, no, no. He creates a whole new thing. He enables him to see and he had never been able to see. Now you read this passage and I was wondering if Matt was reading the passage. What, if you're not familiar with this, if you've never read this before or heard this before, I wonder what you were thinking because this is how this story goes. Jesus comes to this man uh, and, and he spits on the ground, right? Then he, I'm going to be very graphic because that's, that's what scripture says. He picks up his spit, right? His saliva and, and that's now mixed with dirt. He mixes it some more, which makes the Pharisee says he's kneading. He's like kneading dough, so that's not allowed on, on, on the Sabbath. So Jesus is doing that. He's, he's mixing it, and so there's this mud. He makes mud, and then he literally puts it into the eyes of the man born blind. Now this is what he's doing. Now anybody who has never heard this before should obviously be saying, this is so weird, right? So strange. What is Jesus doing? I mean, we know he can heal in all sorts of ways. I mean, he, he said to the official, your son is, it lives, he's fine. Right? He didn't even have to go, even have to touch him at all. But here he gets the mud, he spit. What is going on here? Now, if you're familiar with scripture, that hearkens to another passage, that connects you to another passage that anybody who's read scripture should know. That's Genesis 1. Right, and Genesis 2, the creation of humanity. And what is God, what is God doing there? Genesis 2, 7 is a particular passage I have in mind. God takes dust and he fashions a man and he breathes life into that person. And so now Jesus, years later, takes the dust, mixes it with his breath, puts it on the eyes of the man and heals him. So what Jesus is doing here is, is not just fixing something, but he is giving a new life to this person. Which, by the way, is because this is a highly symbolic chapter, this is what happens to anybody who comes to Christ. It's not as if Jesus kind of fixes you and reforms you, right? And maybe you're a little bent and you have to be straightened up a little bit. That's not how conversion works. When you come to Christ in faith, He gives you a whole new life. He gives you a whole, a whole new nature. You were in the dark, now you are in the light. It's, it's a dramatic thing. And so what Jesus is doing here is He's creating. He's creating new eyes. He's creating new sight. He's creating new life for this helpless man. So what is the connection between the helplessness of the man... And this tremendous creating power that is now coming into his life. How, how do those two connect? There's a lot of helpless people, right? And there's a lot of power. But how do, they, how do they connect? And the connection is grace. Connection is grace. Everything happens in this chapter by grace. And by grace I mean simply God does something that we don't expect or deserve or shouldn't really have. And God does it anyway. He initiates and he accomplishes it without any effort on our part. Now what happens here? The man is there, he's, he's begging, every day he's begging in that place. Jesus sees him. He can't see Jesus, actually can't see him until later. But Jesus sees him. Jesus comes and Jesus heals him. And Jesus does it in such a way that just screams grace to us. Like this whole thing with mud, right? The, the, the whole thing with then sending him to, to wash in the, in the pool of Siloam. Now why is he doing all this? Well, imagine what the man felt. 
Right? So here's this, he hears someone talking, someone who says, I am the light of the world. Your sickness is not because of your sin, but for God's works to be revealed. There's expectations set up. And then that person, he can't see him. Next thing he knows, somebody is rubbing mud with spit into his eyes, right? And then he says, now go and wash in this particular pool of Siloam. What do you think he's feeling? Well, if I were in his position, there's two things that I, that I would have felt for sure. One is it just sounds ridiculous. Like it's just the whole thing just seems like there should be a better, more dignified way to heal people than that. And secondly, it just sounds very simple. So it sounds ridiculous. Why is he doing that? And secondly, you're thinking, is that all that it takes? Just me going into this, to the water and just washing the mud out of my eyes and I will see? But of course, that is exactly how grace works. If you haven't felt ridiculous when God is working with you, I don't know if you can claim that you've experienced grace. And if you've never asked yourself, this, man, this just seems so simple. Shouldn't I do something for this? Should, should I make any kind of effort? Exert any kind of energy? If you haven't wrestled with that, I, I wonder if you know what grace is. Because this is how God works. He works by this complete grace. He comes into your life and, and He does something so simple that requires almost no response from you. That's the minimal response. Faith is the minimal response. We, we tend to exalt faith into, into this, this high position. It's, it's if like, as if we can conjure it up and make it stronger. But faith is just saying, yes, that's all you're doing. And it's so simple. And it requires no effort. And God is doing all of that for you. And that's how God works with us. Now, I think of the story uh, from the Old Testament that, that emphasizes grace very much in the same the same way that, that we see it in our passage. This is 2 Kings 5. Again, if you're not familiar with that story, read it at some point. It's just, it's just such a good story about grace. There's this Syrian, Syrian general named Naaman, very powerful man, and yet a man with leprosy who cannot help himself. He just can't heal himself. He can't fix that problem. He's desperate. And one of his servants, this, this girl from Israel, says, you know, in Israel we have a prophet who might be able to help you. And in desperation he goes to Israel and so he brings a lot of money, changes of clothes, animals, and he's thinking, I'm, I'm going to present it all to the king and the, the king is going uh, to find the person that can, that can heal me. He goes to the king, the king freaks out because he's thinking this is a trap. The Syrians are after us. I can't heal him. What is he doing? He's setting me up to fail so they can invade. And so luckily, there's someone in the land of Israel, this prophet named Elisha, who says, I can help him. Don't worry, your majesty. I'll take care of that. Send him to me. So the king sends Naaman to Elisha. The king comes, or the, the, the general Naaman comes. Now imagine, you know, he brings all the wealth and the pomp. I mean, all this, the... The royal, the royal entourage that he brings with him. So he comes. Elisha doesn't even come out to greet him. He sends out his servant. He says, I, I got a solution for you. Don't worry about it. Go to the Jordan River and just dip yourself seven times. And don't even worry about it. And Naaman says, what? I come to this. The king can't help me. He sends me to some guy who doesn't even have the decency and the respect to come and talk with me. And then he gives me this ridiculous solution to my problem. I should go in and wash myself in the Jordan River? He's saying, we have better rivers in Syria, and that did not help. Now I'm going to go into this muddy water 
and somehow that's going to heal me. And so he just gets very angry. And he's ready to leave because he can't accept grace, you see. Until his servant says, he says, Sir, just, just think about it. It's so simple. Why don't you just do it? I mean, what are you, what's there to lose for you? Just do it. Just do it. It doesn't cost you anything. Just, just go in the water. See what happens. And so Naaman humbles himself and says, well, maybe it's true. Goes in the water and is healed. Grace. No payment required. Right? He, he tries to pay, but no payment required. A simple solution. A ridiculous solution that you have to humble yourself to accept. But that is exactly how grace works. It's how God works with us. God works by grace because we bring nothing to the equation. He works by grace so that no one else but him can take credit for what he has done for us. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's it. That's the Christianity we talk about. It's grace. Jesus comes, finds this man, heals him. Naaman comes, and Elisha says, just just go in the water. Simple, ridiculous solution, you'll be healed. Jesus comes to us, and he says, just believe in me. Yes, it sounds ridiculous. Yes, it sounds very simple. Just believe in me, and you'll be saved. That's grace. My question is, is that something you get? Is this something you understand? Is this something that is, that is part of how you see your relationship with God and everything else? Is that the lens through which you look at everything? You see, tremendous power is released into your life, into your helpless, hopeless life, when we realize that we are blind beggars, utterly dependent on God's grace. Now, that's the first part of the conversation that happens in the dark. The second happens in the light, and that's verses 35 through 38. So I'll just read them to refresh it in our minds, 35 through 38. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. So by that, by that point, a lot of stuff has happened. The Pharisees are angry with the man. They don't know what to do with Jesus, so they just kick the man out. They can't explain what happened to him. And Jesus hears about it. And having found him, so Jesus again goes and finds him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. So his physical eyes... New physical eyes were given to him so he can now see Jesus. It's the first time he sees him. And Jesus says, now that you see him, believe in me. Believe in me that I am the Son of Man. And the helpless man, the blind man, believes, falls on the ground, and worships Jesus. Now the Son of Man is a, is a title. It's a messianic title, title for the Messiah. Jesus says, I am the one who is coming to set the world right. I am the rescuer. I am the one who has come to conquer the darkness of sin and evil and free my people. Do you believe in me? That's the question. And the man says, Lord, I believe. And he worships him. 
So now not only the physical healing took place, and now he's able to see Jesus, literally see him, but also the spiritual healing happened. And now he's able to see Jesus for who Jesus is, the rescuer, the Messiah. Now he can see reality as it is. And at the center of everything, in the center of reality stands the Son of Man, the God-made man, the rescuer, the Lord, the King, the prophet, the high priest. And when he sees him, not just physically but also spiritually, when he sees him, it's like your power is back on, right? The lightning bugs are back, the sun and the stars and the moon are shining, all your batteries are right, your candles are light, everything is fine. And now you see the way things are. And at the middle of all of this, at the center of everything, you see the Son of Man. Why is he worshiping him? Because that is the only response that is adequate to what happened. God came into his life and God changed everything. Now he can see. He can see God. He can see the world the way it's supposed to be seen. And so, of course... He worships Jesus. We remain blind until we see Jesus at the center of reality. There are many ways to deal with spiritual darkness, with spiritual blindness. But until we see Jesus for who he is, we will remain in the dark. And it makes me angry that so many of Christian churches do not make a point to put Jesus at the center. Now, there's lots of other things we can do, of course. But we're blind unless we see Jesus at the center. Unless we worship him, unless we find him, unless he finds us, we don't know reality. And so, yes, it's good to work on your marriage. Yes, it's good to work on your finances. Those are good things, but those are not enough. You're just dealing with the periphery. But you come to the center and you worship Jesus. And then you work out all those other things. From the middle, from the center, from the core of reality. Otherwise you will remain blind. That's what we see happen in our passage. Unless you worship Jesus, you remain blind and in darkness. Now, It's a great miracle of of giving physical sight to a man who was born blind. But a greater miracle was given spiritual sight to a sinner. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. A person who has lived all his life, and I remember remember my conversion. (laughs) I lived all my life creating my own reality, and then God comes in, and you see him, and you worship him, And you exhale and you say, this is how things are supposed to be. I see it. It's right. This is what reality is. Now I hope as we've read the chapter and been talking about it, you already feel and sense this implicit challenge that that comes in this passage. It forces us to take sides. Certainly people in, in this chapter are taking sides. It asks us and other people who are listening in on this conversation, are you in the light or are you in the dark? Throughout the chapter, there's division. Are you with Jesus or against Jesus? Is he a sinner or is he a prophet? They're arguing about this and people are making decisions. They're making choices. Let's, let's put ourselves in the place of those 
who heard the conversation Jesus had with the blind man and figure out what our response should be here. Verse 39, Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. How clear is this? Jesus is saying there are two categories. No third category, it's just two categories. There are people who don't see that I will make them see. There are blind people that will see again. And there are people who think they see that will remain blind. Those are the two categories. And we must take sides. And we must answer the question, am I in the light or am I, am I in the dark? The crux, of course, of this whole matter is Jesus himself. It's not as much that we're saying, do I want to be blind or do I want to see, do I want to be in the light or in the dark? The question is, what do I do with Jesus? If he is at the center of this reality, I have to, I have to deal with him. And so let me tell you, as you consider your response to Jesus, let me tell you what he has done to bring light into your and my world. Verses 4 and 5, they could be puzzling unless we see what Jesus is alluding here, I think. Verses 4 and 5, Jesus says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus says this man's blindness is an opportunity to display the works of God. God will bring light into his darkness. But for that to happen, I, the light of the world, will have to experience darkness myself. He's saying, it's day, it's day now. I, I, I can deal with this right now, but the night is coming. I see he's anticipating something. He's anticipating that something will happen to him where he himself will have to face a terrible darkness. Now, what is he talking about? It's very clear in the Gospel of John and in all of Scripture that Jesus is referring to his own death. He's anticipating that there will be a time when Jesus, God of God, light of light, light of the world, would go into darkness himself so that he could give us light. See, he knows that for him to heal this man, and not just physically, but completely, spiritually, give him the sight that he needs to see who Jesus is. For that to happen, Jesus would have to go into the darkness himself. He would have to become helpless. He would have to go into that house, right? There's pitch black and cluttered and dirty, and there's no help coming. In Luke 23, verses 44 and 45, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but there's this this tremendous passage. Jesus is dying on the cross. For three hours, there's literal darkness over the whole area. Luke says the sun's light failed. Just like in our story, there, there are two dimensions. There's the kind of the literal physical dimension and the much deeper spiritual dimension that is happening here. On the literal physical level, what's happening is that creation is failing her creator. As Jesus is dying, the one who made everything we see, the creation that he made, the very creation that he made, does not serve him. The creation rejects him. And so even the sun refuses to shine for her creator. I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing to think about. That as Jesus comes into this world, as her creator, he comes in here and the world rejects him. And the world says, there's no place 
for our Creator here. And so symbolically, and yet physically and literally as well, there's darkness. The sun refuses to shine. Darkness descends for three hours as Jesus is dying and then is, is on the cross dead. There's another dimension here that's much more, much more terrifying than what I already mentioned. Darkness is not only a sign of the creation's rejection of Jesus, but also a sign of God's rejection of Jesus. Judgment of God is sometimes described as being thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a different kind of darkness that our man experienced in this chapter. This is is bigger than, than what he felt. And he felt hopeless. Remember, he felt helpless. He'd never seen the light. And yet this is different. This is a different level. This is an outer darkness, something outside of our regular darkness, something that is still unknown to us. And yet, under the judgment of God, sinners are cast out into that outer darkness. And all that exists there, because we can't see, we can only hear, and what we hear is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The gnashing of teeth is hopelessness. The weeping is despair. God isn't there. And the source of light is far away, and it's permanent. This is the darkness, the outer darkness that Jesus goes into on the cross. Because not only he is experiencing a separation from his creation, as the sun refuses to shine and give light, he's also experiencing a separation from God himself. Now he's doing that on our behalf as a representative of his people. He's coming into the darkness. He's saying, you, I, I don't want you to go in there. He's saying, I'm going to go in before you. And I'm going to experience the terror of that outer darkness. I will weep and I will gnash my teeth for you. So that when I return, I can give you light. And so when I return, darkness will never, never overcome you. You will always have my light because the light of the world experienced this outer darkness. We sing this, the great hymn in Christ alone. We sing, there in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. That's what happened. Jesus says, I'm working the works of God now. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to give you a spiritual sight. But night is coming. And when that night comes, I will go into the outer darkness for you. And I will change everything for you. And light will always be part of your reality. This is the person, this person, the light of the world who went into the outer darkness, who wept and gnashed his teeth for you. This is the person who is at the center of your reality. And so when light shines on you at conversion and continues to shine through, through the Holy Spirit's work in your life, When that happens, at the center of all of that is Jesus, who gave himself for you, went into the darkness so you can have light forever. This is the light of the world. What will you do with him? You now know who he is. You now know what he's done for you. What will you do? Will you respond by believing in him and worshiping him? which is the only appropriate response given who he is and what he's done? Or will you continue claiming that you are not blind, 
and reject the light of the world. And as I'm saying this, it seems so reasonable to embrace Jesus. It seems so reasonable to say, of course, if He has done that for me, if He is who He is, I will trust Him. And I will worship Him. And I will put Him at the center of my reality. And yet, so many of us do not do that. And we remain in darkness. And we say, I don't need Jesus. I can see on my own. I will arrange the furniture in my dark house in the way just so, so I will never stumble. I will learn to live in the dark. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You don't have to stay in darkness. And you don't have to go into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. I did that for you. Now come to me. The one you see, the one that's speaking to you is the Son of Man. Worship me. What will you do? It really is that simple. Remember, it's grace. Embrace Him. And if you have embraced Him, and I'll finish with this, if you have embraced Him, if you're a believer, you've been walking with Him, you know who He is, you know what He's done, and when I say things that I just said, your, your heart burns within you and that matters to you and, and, and it changes you and you rejoice that he's done it for you even as you, you are in sorrow for what has happened to him. If that is your response and you've been walking with him. My encouragement to you is keep walking in the light. Don't go back in the darkness. Get as much light as you can. The light of the world is on your side. He has done this great thing for you and he's now calling you to live in the light, to walk in the light. So many passages of scripture call us to that, call believers to that. We don't want to go back and be blind. We don't want to go in the dark. So if you're a believer, I'll, I'll, I'll be gentle but straightforward. Some of us have been walking in the dark and we need to return to the light. Don't do things that people do in the dark, but embrace the light. Be open with God. Be open with others. Embrace His power by grace. Accept His healing. Accept His transformative power, whatever that means in your life. I don't know what He's going to do with you, but He is working in your life. The works of God are ready to be displayed in your life. Embrace Him and walk in the light. We're going to take communion and I'm going to address those that are not followers of Christ. I do not want you to feel any pressure to go forward and take communion. This is not a ritual. This is not just going through the motions so other people think well of you. This is not what it's for. At best, it will be meaningless to you. At worst, there's a dangerous spiritual reality you're coming into unequipped to deal with. So if you're not a believer... Hang back. But don't just waste this time. Think about Jesus. Go to Him. See Him for who He is. May your eyes be open and you can see Him for the Son of Man that He is. May you realize what He's done for you and embrace Him by faith and worship Him. May this brief moment, when everybody else has taken communion, be an intense moment of worship for you when you, for the first time, encounter the Son of Man. And if you are a believer, I encourage you to come. Come and take the bread and take the cup. This is a way that the Lord works in your life. This is one of the ways that His grace is communicated to us. He's saying, remember what I have done. 
my body broken, my blood spilled. Live in this new covenant. Walk in the light. Reaffirm your faith at the table. Ask for God's help. Ask for more grace for your life. Embrace the changes that he wants you to pursue. And so may for us, the followers of Christ, this will be a point of repentance and renewal of faith. We will come forward as we sing. We will sing a a great song that goes so well with this passage. You can take communion right in front or take it back to your seats if you need more time to reflect on the gospel, to meditate on what God is doing in your life, what he's done for you in Christ. If you're unable to come forward, an elder will bring communion to you. So if you're unable to come forward and you're new here, just raise your hand, we'll find you. If you're out in the balconies, there are tables set up for you there, so you can just move forward where you are and take communion there. So will you please pray with me as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Father, we praise you. We praise the one who breaks the darkness. We praise you that though creation rejected you, though we have rejected you, you came into the world in Christ to claim this world for yourself, to claim us for yourself, to bring healing that goes well beyond the physical, to give us spiritual eyes to see who you are and what you have done, and to finally show us what reality is. We are so easily deceived. So many of us, we live in in this, the worlds of constructed reality that have nothing to do with the real world. And we've deceived ourselves into thinking that's fine. That we really do see that we're not blind, that we're okay. Lord, break us out of that fog and show us who you are. Show us Jesus. Show us the one who went into the outer darkness and wept and gnashed his teeth so that we could always walk in the light. Holy Spirit, come and do this work in our hearts. Convict us of our sin, our blindness, and heal us now. Pray for those, Lord, who have never experienced your grace. Would you save them now? Would you come to them? Would you move them to the other side where the people who used to be blind beggars can now see the riches of your grace? We pray, Lord, that as we come to the table, this will be real. This will not just be something we go through, but that you will work in our hearts and in our lives. Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let us do it together by grace.